Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 122 with UK Lyme expert Oliver Barnett. Oliver's also a naturopath. And with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode you will learn the dissemination of Lyme disease in the UK, including urban places like the middle of London, the need for accurate tests for co-infections, and Oliver's approach for wellness that focuses on healing the body rather than killing the disease. Thanks, Aurora. I really enjoyed speaking with Oliver. It's interesting. I also spoke with a physician in the UK, and there is a slightly different take on Lyme disease. I think you'll be interested to hear. Uh, much of it is the same. It's about 85, 90% the same, but they have slightly different approaches over there. So I think you'll find it very enlightening. And welcome to all our UK and Irish listeners. We are so thrilled to have you listening to us and discover Lime Ninja Radio. Please go through all our archives. We do have 122 episodes now, so there's a lot to listen to, a lot of information to help you kind of keep up your ninja spirit on those dark days with Lyme disease and also learn some information to help you on your Lyme journey. And to help with that, we do have a new website that we're rolling out uh, bit by bit. So the homepage is new, should be easier, faster to load, easier to navigate through, make more sense. And on that, if you so choose, there's a link to subscribe and donate a little bit of money to us. And there's also a short email course on methyl genetics. Uh, I know many of you are interested in how your genetics affect your nutritional needs. And there's a short course on there. Sign up for that and you'll start getting some emails from me. All right, Aurora. And I also wanted to say before we get on to this next part, thank a big thank you to Gwen, JC, and Jennifer for subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio. We really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks. It helps. Every little penny helps us keep going, and we appreciate it. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest. All right. Oliver Barnett has studied naturopathy and nutrition, metabolic typing, iridology, and herbal medicine. He runs the largest and only collaborative functional medicine practice in Europe with a team of 10, including six practitioners, three of which specializing in helping people with Lyme. In December of this year, he will be opening the UK's first integrated treatment center for Lyme disease. Oliver is considered one of the UK's leading health experts and regularly features in printed and online media. Thanks, Aurora. And here is my interview with UK Lyme expert, Oliver Barnett. And are you a, are you a Lyme person yourself? or? Well, yes and no. 
I was bit and received a little bit of doxycycline very, very early on, like within days. And, yeah. uh, and for the most part, okay. So I'm one of the lucky folk. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, exactly. And how about you? Uh, no, no, I just, um, you know, I just, uh, the funny thing is, is that, you know, about, about five years ago, um, uh, well, I've, I've been treating autoimmunity for about 10 years and, you know, we, I was, viruses were always a big thing for me, you know, and that treating people for viruses was always a major part of helping people get better from, you know, from autoimmune problems and, um, you know, and also specifically things, also some back, often pathogens are a major cause of autoimmunity. And, you know, I often used to see, um, chlamydia pneumoniae as a major causative factor with people with MS. Yeah. Or you used to treat people for chlamydia pneumoniae and they get better. Yeah. And, you know, with MS. And we used to treat a lot of people with autoimmune conditions for, you know, for viruses and other pathogens and they get better. So the interesting thing was about five years ago, I went to a conference and about Lyme and, Lyme was always the last thing I looked for with people. And after this conference, it was much more on my radar. And for the last sort of, you know, sort of four or five years, um, it's been on, at the forefront of my mind. And the I think historically when I was treating people for these pathogens, that actually I was treating them for Lyme at the same time. I think a lot of them had Lyme and, you know, I didn't necessarily know it. Um, but they were still getting better because we were treating, you know, the foundations and the fundamentals of health to get them better. Brilliant. So ever since then, I've been going to as many Lyme conferences all around the world and expanding our knowledge. And we've now got, I think, the largest Lyme team in the UK. And next year, we're opening the UK's first Lyme disease treatment center. So uh, that's that's how it's really gone. So how is... What do I want to ask here? How do I want to ask it? What's the awareness like in the UK, in the general population, are there any subpopulations that are like here? The horse set is very knowledgeable of Lyme disease because their horses come down with Lyme frequently. Mm. So they're aware that it exists. And here, even you think, oh, the US, you know, we've got all these cases. CDC says we have 300,000 a year, and that's more than breast cancer and colon cancer. And yet, the detection through the traditional channels isn't very good, and it's mostly diagnosed over the backyard fence. Mm. I think that I don't know. You know, I've got a lot of clients. You know, who've been picking their ticks off horses and picking them off their dogs, and um, it's weird. You know, the, the, the knowledge with the vets, <laughs> yes. I think, is far better than the knowledge with the with the GPs. Um, but I think the general. I think there's been quite a few celebrity cases. So I think the, the public's knowledge is slightly better. Um, but, you know, I think it is the biggest, one of the biggest pandemics in the world at the moment. Um, there is a bit of, you know, the sort of, you know, the sort of the cynical people say it's like a, you know, like a Lyme hysteria at the moment. Yes. Um, and some people have even been, have gone as far to say things like, oh, you know, Lyme's the new Canada, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I wish it was like Canada. Canada is not that difficult to treat. Um, but I, I think, you know, in the UK, people used to make the assumption, well, you know, you can only get it in forested areas or where there's lots of deer. But now, you know, you go to Richmond Park in South London and there's there's signs up in the park that says Lyme lives here. Beware ticks. And that's that's in one of London's most famous parks. Now, if someone in the UK 
thinks they may have gotten bit, maybe they have a rash, maybe they don't, and they go to see their GP. What's the likelihood of them getting treated? Um, I don't know. I might put it at 1% chance. Wow. That, that, that's probably being generous. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty appalling. Um, it's lack of training, education. Um, I think that it's um, only acute Lyme is really recognized. I mean, I had a patient last this week who had five different test results from five different labs saying they had um, Lyme disease. And they went to an infectious disease consultant in, in London and they were told they don't have Lyme and they need a psychologist. <laughs> so, you know, the infectious disease, you know, doctors are not even recognizing it. So then why should the GPs? Um, so, you know, the, 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 the recognition of it is, 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 is pretty appalling. Um, yeah. So then how does somebody find you and your, <laughs> and your team? Good question. Um, so I think, you know, when people type in Lyme disease treatment, if you go into Google and you try Lyme disease treatment UK or Lyme disease treatment London, there's not many places that come up. And obviously we're one of them. Um, people have access, obviously, to the Lyme disease UK Facebook forum and people can point them in the right direction there. Um, there is this thing called Lyme disease report that people in the Facebook group can, can find. Um, and there's reviews written about various um, practices treating Lyme. Um, the most well-known, I suppose, one in the UK is Breakspear. We yet have quite a you know conventional approach. Um, the I think you know I suppose it's about maybe two thirds of the people that we see. It's hard to say. Maybe it's fifty-fifty, or maybe I'm not sure. If it's two thirds. But it's, let's say it was two thirds of the people that we see don't know they have Lyme before they get to us. And somewhere between 30, a third and 50% of the people that come to see us already know they have Lyme. But I would say the figures are probably more stacked in the favor of people that don't know they've got it. So they've got things like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or MS, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, ME diagnoses, which don't really tell you anything. Um, and don't, don't, and you don't know about the etiology and where it's, what it's being caused by. But quite a, a very big chunk of the time, it's been caused by Lyme. So true. And do you do blood testing or is this a clinical diagnosis? How do you um, land on we, Lyme? I think we, you know, I think everyone's pretty unanimous and it has to be overall a clinical diagnosis. Um, I think the testing is confirmatory. Um, I think that some people who test positive, say on the Armin lab tests, um, I don't think Lyme is their primary concern. Sometimes I think it's, it's other areas. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the work we do with patients, it doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is. It's just about getting the body to work as the best it's ever been able to work in years. And if you do that, then actually, regardless of what the infection you've got is, um, most people get better. That sounds like a traditional naturopath approach. So what, what is your approach? Where do you start? Where do you begin? Detoxification well, pathways? Yeah. What? So, so we've got three people on the team that deal with Lyme. There's, there's myself. Um, there's Jonathan. Jonathan has a personal interest because his sister-in-law has got very severe Lyme with a neuroborreliosis. Um, we've got Judy who works for Rio who imports the Calden protocols into the UK and she's their education manager. And she lectures on Lyme as well. So we've got a nice little team who deal with Lyme. And 
my, my background, I'm probably the most um, sort of eclectic in my background out of the team because I'm a naturopath, a herbalist, a nutritionist, done functional medicine and mind-body medicine and Ayurveda. So I've got quite a lot of sort of like, oh, and I'm sorry, I'm an iridologist as well. So I've got quite <laughs> a lot of, uh, I've got quite a lot of um, sort of tools in my toolkit. Um, but I think across the team, we, we, we tend to start with um, – Bit, almost like, a bit like the Richard Horowitz, you know, 16 point map, you know, it, you know, you need to, you need to be getting the, dealing with all the aspects of the body to get it in shape first. So if there's endocrine abnormalities or there's, um, nu- nutrient deficiencies, that's, that's a great place to start along with the gut. So if someone's got digestive issues and they're not going to the loo regularly or gut problems, there's a massive incidence, maybe two thirds of the people with, with Lyme have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So you need to deal with that. Um, most people with Lyme have um, bile flow issues. So you need to get the bile moving. Um, most people with Lyme have methylation defects. So again, correcting methylation defects. Um, so then once you've dealt with all that, um, you then need to look at obviously endocrine abnormalities. So is there any thyroid dysfunction? Is there any uh, adrenal fatigue, any adrenal dysfunction? Um, dealing with that needs to be done. Then obviously as part of that process, really, really doing rigorous detoxification, um, dealing with any environmental toxins such as mold and mycotoxins, um, dealing with any heavy metals that they may have had from the environment or if they've got, say, amalgams or if they've got crowns, some people are reacting to the metals in crowns, like specifically nickel. So we need to get the crowns out and more hypoallergenic ones put in. Um, root canals, looking at root canals, is there problems with root canals, cavitations, um, getting the root canals out, having them lasered, having them put back in, or in some cases losing the tooth or having um, zirconium implants done. Um then what's next? Immunity, supporting the immune system. Because really, really is we do from often from the start, using herbal medicine, you know, primarily, often using transfer factors, certain uh, vitamins. Um, and then once you're done with dealt with all of that, more often than not, the person is in such good shape that they're actually feeling great. I mean, you know, it can be 70, 80, 90 percent better by that stage. But then, you know, in some people, we then need to start, you know, targeting the, the co-infections. Like normally we start with the viruses. Uh, after the viruses, we deal with the other co-infections like Babesia, um, Bartonella, um, Chlamydia pneumoniae, Rickettsia, Ehrlichia. Um, and then after that, dealing with Lyme, you know, Borrelia specifically. Um, so that's, we sort of have that, that sort of chronology um, when, you know, when we're working with patients and then, you know, using adjunct therapies Along the way, as we go, you know, things like acupuncture, homeopathy, osteopathy, cranial sacral therapy, yoga, mindfulness work. So very, you know, we, we, we tend to use a very eclectic approach to getting people well. Fabulous. That's quite the protocol you put together. And a little side note, I studied for a month with Worsley in Leamington in the mm-hmm. 90s. That's, that's part of my training as, okay. an, as an acupuncturist. Okay. Um, I'm I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you need with these sort of things you need to be thorough. Um, with any chronic health issue, you know, like whether it's chronic fatigue or anything, even cancer, let's say, you know. Um, interesting. I was talking to Jonathan about 
you know, cancer treatment with patients. And I don't treat cancer, but he does. And he said, you know, it's effectively the same protocols. He said, you know, for Lyme than it is for cancer, you know, just really getting the body in the best shape it can possibly be. Um, so I've just been, you know, incredibly thorough. Um, seem, seems to be the, the best approach. Um, we use pulse electromagnetic frequency machines, PENTH machines with clients, which get very good results. Um, we're using a very specific type of infrared sauna. Um, we're using um, intravenous vitamin and mineral infusions along with intravenous uh, laser treatments as well. Um, so, yeah, a whole, a whole heap of stuff. So on the intravenous laser, what uh, wavelengths are you using? Goodness. Um, <laughs> I don't know the wavelengths, um, but I know we're using different colors like red, blue, and green. Mm-hmm. They can either be done with the IVs where people are getting their, their nutraceuticals in IVs, uh, or they can be on the surface, you know, of the skin. So they don't, they don't even have to be IV. Right, right. And my mind in, in Chinese medicine, the, the moxa treatments, I think that was their old-fashioned laser treatments gave a little bit exactly. of Exactly. Yeah, you got it in one. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Someone, someone mentioned that to me the other day. That's, 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 you're, you're, you're right on the money. That's, that's, the, the Chinese, they, they had, they paid attention. They have interesting, interesting medicine. Mm, now yeah. you also mentioned the, the co-infections there, and I was a little bit surprised to hear that they really overlap with what's going here, going on here at the States. And do you find similarly, like we do here, that people who really with the chronic disseminated Lyme have multiple co-infections as well? Yeah, I think that obviously the sicker people are, the more bugs they're going to have. So the mega sick people are going to have, you know, you name it, they've got it basically. Um, unfortunately, there isn't a very reliable test for, for Babesia or Bartonella in the UK. Um, I don't really think there's one in the States either. I don't think there's a really, really reliable one. Um, so I tend to work on the symptoms of Babesia and Bartonella and then we treat them. And if they feel better, then um, we know that, you know, those particular bugs are a problem for them. I think the most common co-infections probably are Coxsackie virus, um, Chlamydia pneumoniae. Probably those two are probably the most common. So that's a little bit different than here. We tend to see probably Bartonella and Babesia well, but then, I mean, there's always, just depends on the patient's history. They always have viruses, often latent, uh, that get reactivated with the Lyme disease. So, I mean, just the virus just depends on their history. But in terms of the tick-borne part of things, it, it tends to be Bartonella and Babesia mostly here. Mm. I mean, but, but the problem is testing for it. I don't know what tests you guys are using. I mean, you can use immunoscience, which aren't bad for Babesia, but... I mean, there's Galaxy Diagnostics for Bartonella uh, in the States, but for Babesia, I don't think there's even a a decent test for Babesia. Our closest Lyme literate doctor is about an hour and a half from my practice. Yeah. It's Dr. Stram. He sends the blood work to Germany. Interesting. I wonder what lab he he uses. I can look that up for you if you'd like. I haven't bothered because let him handle the details. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I can find out. I'd be interested to know that because we need a reliable test for, for Babesia. The other thing is, well, the, the two things there. I met a doctor uh, from the Upper Peninsula, which is up by Canada and out west by the Great Lakes here. So he's a good 12, 14 hours away 
from me. Met him in Boston at a nutritional conference, and he was using a lab in New Jersey. And I've called his office several times, and they haven't gotten back to me. He's a small country doctor, and I, I'll try and track that down. I'm motivated again to give them another call to find out because he said he was sending it to a lab in New Jersey and getting good oh. results on the co-infections as well. And then, are you familiar with? Tgen out in the in the western part of the states, they're putting together a test. Have you heard well, this what's, news? What's the, what's the lab called? Tgen. T G E N. Uh, they're out of Phoenix, I Arizona. I don't think so. No. Well, this is you're going to be very interested in this. So, and then I was at a medical conference at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and came across two other groups. So there are two very serious research groups now working on a blood test and one on a urine test. And these tests are going to be brilliant. They're going to be in-office tests, uh, type of thing where you plug it in either to your unit or to your iPhone or your Samsung, whatever. And it's going to be plug and play. So as they get new genetic signatures, they'll be able to upload the software right to you and have a list of co-infections that can just get longer and longer. And the, the test will distinguish the co-infections. It'll distinguish the different strains of Lyme disease and even do a little bit of a differential diagnosis. So if it's just a really bad flu, it'll be able to say, okay, this you're not in this realm. You're more on a flu virus type of thing. They're doing uh, validation studies beginning this spring. So hopefully a year after that, these devices will start coming on the market and it'll just make our lives so much easier. Yeah, sounds, sounds really interesting. I saw a video somewhere online as well about some girl, I think in America, she looks like of oriental origin, really young girl, so she's developing some urine test as well. You know, I haven't tracked her down. I saw that mentioned in the headlines and... Right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. There's also a group in Ireland who's working on a urine test. They were, I interviewed the woman and they were looking for funding and I think they're struggling with that. But she, same sort of idea. There's, there was a carbohydrate based urine test. Uh, and interestingly enough, I don't know if you notice this with your patients too. It seems with the Lyme flare, there is something about the bladder and urination is, the frequency with the Lyme flare seems to track urination frequency. It seems to track with the with the Lyme crisis. So there is something whether the Lyme gets to the bladder itself or whether it's some chemical there irritating the bladder. It's uh, it's an interesting correlation. Okay. Now, can we talk UK politics a little bit? Huh. I think um, <laughs> I, I think I think I think the UK just tends to follow America's suit. So Mike. if you want to look at it with a, with a conspiracy sort of hat on, you know, a lot of the CDC in America, the Lyme doctors are being, you know, are being sort of um, uh, what's the word funded by insurance companies in the States. Um, you know, not to say that persistent Lyme or chronic Lyme is a problem and thereby insurance companies not having to pay out for large amounts of antibiotics and i think that the uk just follows that follows that lead and how does a change get made to the health service 
over there. I mean, here, there are people who march on the CDC and there are people who march on ID, uh, NIH and IDSA and trying to get things like that going and, and get them rattled a little bit, but it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of dent over here. Um, it's, I mean, NICE, you know, there's a body in England called NICE, which set the guidelines for this sort of stuff. And they say they are reviewing it and they're going to publish their review in a year or so or something like that. Um, but I don't hold out much confidence, um, in, 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 in improving very much. I mean, there's a, there's a hospital in the UK where a lot of these, the Lyme tests are done called Porton Down. And again, it's sort of shrouded in mystery and conspiracy as well, Porton Down. It's like almost, it's like an army base and there's like high, quite high security around there. And, you know, people speculate that, you know, well, people know that there's been, you know, biological weapons developed there and what have you. And then people speculate that, well, Borrelia, they always play down Borrelia being an issue because they've used it previously as a biological weapon. And obviously we're getting into sort of conspiracy theories sort of territory here. But I, I do think there is value to this, you know. And I think, you know, you see that people come up positive on the Western block and a positive ELISA. And then they go and have, which is rare, and then they go to Porton down, have their test done, and it comes back negative. So I think there's a real sort of playing, really trying to play Lyme down. Now, there is the conspiracy theory, and then there's just the human arrogance and ego side of things. And who was it, Max... Planck or Niels Bohr, one of these back in the, the early days of quantum physics, stated that science progresses one funeral at a time. <laughs> and it's a cynic's view. And yet, it's like, you know, you get these people whose careers, these researchers whose careers and, and uh, reputations are staked on a certain position, and they'll defend that flag to the death, even in the face of information so i kind of bounce back and forth between you know the the conspiracy type of theories where there's active hostile intent out there and the other just benign awful neglect and closed-mindedness mm. and maybe it's probably it's probably a combination of the two yeah i mean people people just seem very um the problem is a lot of these specialists these rheumatologists and these you know and people like that and these neurologists you know they it's taken them a long time to get there with all this training and these professors and what have you. And they're the least likely to change or the, or the ones that are lo- take them longest to change. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, um, sometimes the neurologists, when they're looking at someone with MS, they might do a basic ELISA test for Lyme just to rule it out. And then they'll go, okay, well, you don't have Lyme and you must have MS. <laughs> but MS is, a, you know, the clinical diagnosis like Lyme. So, and the lesions are, the plaques are, are identical. So, you know, it's, I mean, I was at our Christmas party for one of the clinics I work at in, in last year, and there's a top rheumatologist there. And I said to him, you know, there's a very high percentage of your patients will actually have Lyme and not rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. You need to be doing the Richard Horowitz questionnaire with them, at, at, with every one of them as a, as a minimum. Yeah. Um, you know, to see you know, to see whether there's a chance of having Lyme. And he says, well, you know, we just send them down the port and down sometimes. If it comes back negative, then they've got rheumatoid arthritis. And I said, but that, that's not good enough. You, you need to be doing more than that. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, well, send me the, the questionnaires and let's chat next week. This was at the Christmas party. And now we're at 
we've got our another our, this year's Christmas party in a few weeks, and it's, it's been a year and he hasn't contacted me. Yeah, Even though I've sent him stuff and emailed him a few times. So when I see him in a few weeks, I'm going to say, hey, I said, um, how many people have you diagnosed with Lyme so far since we met? <laughs> so and he's gonna, yeah, he's going to find a sudden urge to use the loo. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the sad thing is, you know, a lot of the, there's a classic, you know, term in rheumatology where they say, oh, you know, you've got seronegative of arthritis, yes. which basically means is, you know, on our test, you come back as negative, but actually we still think you've got arthritis, but we don't know what the cause is. Exactly. You know, where a large large chunk of the time it's, it's, it's Lyme. Here in my small community, we had a rheumatologist who got uh, funding to study, <coughs> excuse me, MS. <clears throat> and I believe that they're probably, uh, I'm going to make up a number, a large, let's just say a large percentage of people in the community who were diagnosed with MS because there's money to study them instead of Lyme disease. And it's, it's funny how just these funny little channels of diagnostic blindedness really hamper and and hurt people it's really it's really a shame and these doctors they what they learned is 30 years old or 40 years old and they're busy and they don't have time to keep up with the science they read the headlines and they read the bulletins from their professional organizations and they're going to be the last to change unfortunately maybe we have some hope with some of the younger docs coming online but the old guard they're the old guard for a reason yeah, and I agree. And you know, it's complacency. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I totally agree. Um, but I think things are going to change. There's more awareness of Lyme, that's for sure. Now, there's definitely more awareness of it. So I think it's it's it, it can only get better. That's for sure. Right. Uh, the change is coming from the outside, like you said. Some of the celebrity cases, and I find the awareness amongst people is much higher. And I put together a presentation uh, over the summer just comparing incidents of Lyme between the veterinarian reports and the human reports, and the difference is staggering, and you can't tell me that the ticks only bite dogs and not human beings. And mm. people start seeing those numbers, and it's so self-evident. I mean, even the newspapers look at it and say, okay, there's this is crazy. How can you have 100,000 cases of dogs and 15 for humans? Yeah, I don't think it's just the tick bites. You know, I think that, you know, it's mosquitoes, sand flies, yeah, flies, yeah. sexual contact, um, you know, um, vaginal seminal fluid. Um, I think it's just like any bug, you know, whether it's a virus or another type of bacteria or parasite. I think we've all got Lyme. All of us have had come into contact with it at some point in our lives. And it's only when we have, when the immune system takes a knock that that these things proliferate. And, and what we tend to find with, with virtually all our patients, whether it's an autoimmune condition or Lyme or any sort of chronic illness, it, it's, it's a stressful event or a series of chronic stresses that is the, um, what's the word, the, the catalyst, you know, for, for these things to, you know, to, to take hold. Very clearly. And you mentioned earlier you have a colleague who treats cancer. I was mm -hmm. listening to researchers, particularly uh, Dr. Seafried out of Boston College, and he's trying to put forth the idea using established research that cancer is a metabolic uh, 
respiratory disease first and not a genetic disease first, that the genetic changes happen after the cells starved for essentially ATP and, and oxygen. And there's okay. some there's some very interesting preliminary studies. There's a dog model out of Texas where they're taking terminal dogs with of severely advanced cancer, uh, untreatable cancer, and putting them on a very strict diet, so a ketogenic diet, and then giving them hyperbaric oxygen. And amazingly, many of these animals survive. Wow, amazing! Uh, it, it it is, and and so th- you say, you know, there's so many you, you see in your practice, so many overlaps, and I think this this mitochondrial damage, you know, depending where it happens, will will affect an organ, will affect the musculature, will affect the brain, and it it does have a common mechanism, I believe, and. The more, like the work you're doing is like people, people feel better. Yeah. You get the, the energy sources within the body charged up again and healed and get some of those toxins out of there. And then the body can do what it's designed to do. And I think that we'll find that this is, this is the modern illness and the mitochondria are damaged by the heavy metals. They're damaged by the viruses. They're, you know, various other infections, uh, probably, uh, exposure to, radiation and like cell phone radiation and things like that we'll find as well and then you know we're just you know we're inside we're wearing sunscreen we're our feet aren't on the earth we're just we're disconnected in so many ways yeah what makes me laugh with sunscreen is that you know people in people in the uk um, (laughs) i I, I, I say i I say to people you know everyone in the uk should be on vitamin d in, in in the winter yeah but the funny thing is is that if I see my patients like in Saudi Arabia or from California or Dubai where it's ridiculously hot, they're all inc- incredibly vitamin D deficient. And yeah. it's, it's because they, they cover up, they wear sunscreen, they go from one air-conditioned building to another. So actually, vitamin D deficiency is universal. It's worldwide. It's, it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. Hmm. Okay. What... What haven't we covered from your point of view? Do you have anything burning to share about Lyme disease? Because I'm about ready to wrap up our conversation. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I just think that. I think I, what I would say is is that you know that it's the final thought. It's it's it, in, my, in my experience, it's, it's capable. You know, the body is capable of healing itself from anything, regardless of what it is. And I think, given the right approach, and it's just about finding that approach, people can can and do heal from anything, especially Lyme disease. How do people find your clinic? Um, well, online they can type, they can Google, or just you know go to the website www.londonclinicofnutrition.co.uk. Um, when we open the new centre next year, I'm not sure if we're going to give it like a Lyme disease oriented name or just keep the same branding. I haven't decided yet. It might be that um, the new clinic next year will have a, might have a slightly different name. I don't know. I've got to give it some thought. Um, but for the moment, it's, it's the London Clinic of Nutrition. Brilliant. And when you open up, I'd love to interview you or somebody else on your team as well. What you're sure. doing, what you're doing over there is such a needed service. And I know people are getting on the train, their bicycles, <laughs> hitching a ride to come down and see you. And I wouldn't be surprised. Do you get international patients as well? Um, yeah, we get a couple for Lyme, but not, 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 I wouldn't say many. Um, but obviously we, we do a lot of, we do a lot of international appointments, but not necessarily for Lyme. So obviously we'll do that. They might fly in for the first session and then 
next all the other sessions will be via Skype, or some people do it from the initial session via Skype. There's a fair number of cases in Scandinavia, uh, and I know the, kind of the, on the continent, the, the Germans have things fairly well in hand. Although I've talked to people who've gone over from the States to Germany to be treated and come back and say, well, you know, it hasn't been all that great, but their reputation precedes them, obviously. Well, so, so having well, the clinic there, I think, is going to be brilliant. Yeah, I think East Europe, you know, Lyme is, is, is rife in Eastern Europe, you know, Poland, Lithuania, um, Hungary, all those countries. There's, there's real problems there, real problems. And is that from the terrain or just I the, guess so. the environment? Yeah I, guess, yeah, I guess so. Just East Europe seems to be a huge, huge problem. I'd say virtually every patient in our clinic who, from Eastern Europe seems to have Lyme. It's a real problem. You know, I I wonder also if some of the incidents is just awareness and the willingness of some physicians to do. I mean, if you just have one or two doctors in a community who are testing and are somewhat open-minded to give that diagnosis, all of a sudden the incidence goes through the roof. And I'm wondering how much of that is actual dissemination of the disease or just testing for it. I don't know if we'll ever know. What's your sense? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. I <laughs> <laughs> don't really know the answer to that one. Yeah, me neither. I mean, so you know, the, the disease is named for Lyme, Connecticut, a community where they discovered this. And you know, it's ground zero. But then we have evidence like, uh, I forget the the ice man who was discovered in Switzerland who had the Borrelia in his body. So the Borrelia has been around in some form or another for a very long, <clears throat> for a very long time. And Lyme may have just been ground zero for the diagnosis of the disease and mm -hmm. recognizing of a, of a symptom that's, that's really been around all over. Cause I interview people from all over the States and most of them, some of them traveled to the East Coast and believe they got it here, but many of them got it locally, and they're thousands of miles away. So that's always just in the back of my mind. There is also something we're doing as well, which I should mention, is because a lot of people can't afford treatment with the clinic. Uh, we do low-cost low treatment. for you know We all do low-cost sessions with people each month as well. But one thing we've, I've decided to launch um, in the next month or so is a um, like a herb, herbal medicine service where – so people want to treat themselves at home with herbal medicine. There'll be a section on the website, like a little shopping section, where they can buy, say, 15 different formulas, which will be, you know, targeted towards Lyme or Babesia or detoxification or whatever it may be. And they can buy, you know, buy, you know, good quality herbs. And then our um, herbal supplier will, will, will ship to them. So that's something we're going to introduce, hopefully, before the end of the year. That's wonderful. Sourcing of a good quality herb is so important. And I know people tend to just google online and maybe go for the lowest price if money's an issue and you just have to be so careful uh you just don't know what's being done to the herbs behind the scenes so what you're offering there is is really well needed and that brings up the also point is is you're out of pocket there also as well yes um what do you mean by that the expense is not covered by the national health service oh god no yeah no definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we there we have people here and rightfully angry the the insurance companies here are a semi private enterprise i mean they're heavily regulated by the 
the government and but yet it's they're they're separate corporations it's not run by the government and it's they believe well if we just had a national service then everything would be covered and we'd be in heaven and it's it's when dealing with governments it's just not easy they they want to keep their money they they have trouble covering everything so unfortunately what you're doing there helping people of all economic backgrounds is, is so important it's part of our uh professional responsibility to help everybody yeah. we can right yeah agreed yeah, yeah, yeah. oliver thank you cool. so much thank you for what you're doing over there in the uk and i know you're going to bring a lot of hope and health to to people that come to your clinic and i'll give you the last word thank you very much much obliged i hope to talk again soon would love to have Thanks. a wonderful day all the best bye-bye bye-bye Level, level. Level, level. You're sounding a bit grainy right now. Should I be worried? Maybe. I might be too okay. close. That's probably that I'm too close. How is that better? You, it is, actually. Yeah, I think I'm, I was so used to talking like this because the the level was down that now it's yeah. we got the better gain. Okay. I can, okay. I can, let me take it down a tick also. Let's see okay. if that does it better. Sound preferences. Oh, come on up. Input. Okay, let's take it down to half. Let's take the edge off it. Okay, let's see if that's a little better. Okay. Okay, you're sounding great. Good. Okay. That was a really great interview. I could tell you had a lot of fun talking to Oliver. I did enjoy speaking with Oliver. Yeah, (laughs) I could really tell. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was just how methodical he was in listing off all the cofactors that can make a a person really, truly sick from chronic Lyme. It it really spoke to his naturopathic training. It did. It also reminded me of Dr. Horowitz in his 19-point NSAIDs or MSAIDs. MSAIDs, I forget exactly what he calls it. The acronym is, but essentially he's saying there's multiple factors that go into a disease like this and they can come from lots of places and he uses a really gruesome analogy he says you got to take all the nails out of the foot not just one of them (laughs) yeah exactly so that's what makes that sort of training so invaluable uh naturopathic uh holistic doctor functional medicine where you're looking at multiple inputs and you're not just trying to find the one cause of the disease, like identifying the bacteria and really keeping your mind open. Okay. There may be co-infections. There may be other systemic problems, uh, not in the blood. You know, it might be a gut infection. It might be a hormonal imbalance. It might be heavy metal toxicity. It might be a liver dysfunction. It could be a nutritional imbalance. So it's so complicated, and to have somebody like Oliver in the UK that people can turn to is is a good thing. And you know, one of the items that does come up is the funding. How do you pay for all these private physicians? But somebody's got to be out there, kind of carrying the flag, and the rest of the medical community will come along eventually. So it's important to support these pioneers as they bring the medical community kicking and screaming into the 21st century. (laughs) How's that for a political statement? 
Sounds great. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll write that. Uh, we'll write up a manifesto on that yeah. right away. <laughs> well, we need to find a door to nail it to. <laughs> exactly. And that conversation also, I love talking to naturopaths and it reminded me, remember Kate Ryung Blue, the Canadian naturopath who wrote the book on yes. vitamin K? Yeah. Yes. Her book's called The Calcium Paradox. Naturopaths just think outside the box and I love that sort of thinking. And if you do want to know more about vitamin K, it's a great interview. The research, it's episode 77, it's, by the way. Yes, thank you, Aurora. And the, the <laughs> research doesn't quite have a solid tie-in with vitamin K and the immune system, but it's, it's starting to point that way. So you need vitamin K to help manage the calcium in your body. And it does other things too. So it's, it shows up with Alzheimer's disease and we know Alzheimer's has a link to Lyme. So there's just so much overlap with, with the vitamin K. And it's one of those fat soluble vitamins that we just don't get enough of because of the way food is raised and processed these days. So anyway, have a, it's a great episode. Go back to the archives, get number 77. Just scroll through your iTunes. Oh, and we should mention here, if you are new yeah. to Lime Ninja Radio, that there are lots of different ways you can get to us. Of course, there's LimeNinjaRadio.com, and that's the easiest way. We have on the homepage uh, the list of all the interviews. You just kind of click on the buttons, and they'll just keep loading we're all 122. We're on iTunes, so you can find us there if you have an iPhone. We're also on SoundCloud, so you can go to SoundCloud and search for Lime Ninja Radio, and they have an app for the iPhone and Android and so forth and so on. We're also on Stitcher. Are we still on Stitcher? I, I think, think we are. Yeah, I we're still we on Stitcher. So th there are lots of different ways to listen. And, of course, you can also just go to the website and, and listen there, and you can listen on your phone or your mobile device, your tablet, or a desktop computer, however you prefer to do it. I yeah. just want to go ahead, Aurora. Well, I was going to say, speaking of, we've redesigned the website a little bit. We have redesigned the website. The old one didn't work very well with uh, mobile devices, and so I tried to get this fancy plug-in that would switch over to a different site, and it was a disaster, especially if you people tried, those of you out there who tried to enter our contest, it was it just didn't work. It's just a total web fail. <laughs> and I've been working with the company uh, who makes the plug-in that runs the contests and also the plug-in that handled the mobile and... Is this too much inside baseball? Anyway, they went back and forth. They couldn't fix it, and so the heck with it. So we just simplified the design. So that's basically what's happened. And then eventually we'll we'll continue to do that with the individual pages on the website too. Right now they're still the old design, but we'll come up with a new format that's a little bit cleaner and faster loading. So hope you enjoy it. And if you do, you'll notice that our featured interview on the website is the Bob Miller interview. It is our most popular interview and give the people what they want. Right, Aurora? Is, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and Aurora, why don't you announce this week's winner for our book drawing, Lori Dennison's book. Yes. The the winner of last week's drawing for yes, Lori Dennison's new book, Lime Madness, is Ellen Clementson. So watch for an email for us, Ellen, and congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, Ellen. 
Unfortunately, this week we don't have a contest. I'm so sorry. We'll work on it for our next couple weeks. But And that actually brings up a good point. I'm going to Thailand for two weeks. You are. Yes, you know that. You're, you're Don't fi- act surprised. Well, uh, no, I know, but it's like you're finally taking you and you and mom are finally taking a vacation. A real I vacation. Feel like. Yes, we haven't had a vacation yeah. in probably ten ten years. I would say. Yeah. Nose yeah. to the grindstone. You were on a little farm, and it's hard to get away. And we're just kind of homebodies anyway. So our children chipped in and got us tickets to Thailand. So how can you say no? I haven't decided. Oh, I've decided what I'm going to do there. Absolutely nothing. Lie on the beach and try not to get sunburned. But I haven't decided what we're going to do for the two episodes that we'll miss because I'm there. Uh, we'll either, if we have time, which time's running out because we're leaving the 31st of January and right now it's the 23rd. So I only have eight days left. We'll record in advance. That's the ideal situation. But that might not happen just because there's too much life in between now and then. We may pull up a couple best of episodes and we'll decide, we'll pick from our archives a couple of our most popular. Uh, Brenda Constantino's The Real Food Rebel, uh, her episode is highly listened to, as is a few other Horowitz's interview, Eva Shoppy's interview, um, so we'll we'll pick some good ones. You'll en- you'll enjoy it. Yep. All right. I think that's it. Do we have any more business? I don't think so. I think we're good. So that means, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with another Lime Ninja. Fa- Where do these facts come from? <laughs> the truth is, ninjas are always out there making up new facts. So. <laughs> It's a never-ending supply. So here's today, today's Lime Ninja fact of the day. We got a little bonus one there. Did you know a ninja once planted a box of Cheerios in his yard? The result was a donut tree. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.